1: This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called The Living Church of the Living King, looking at the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the Living One that gives our call to the church. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. We're going to be taking a look at two entire chapters of Scripture in our time together today. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 4 and 5 now. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Revelation is notoriously confusing. It's a notoriously confusing and difficult to understand book of the Bible. The imagery in this book uh, is, is imagery that we don't fully grasp or understand. But it makes sense that the imagery in this book would. Um, be that which we don't understand. John was taken up into the presence of the Lord God. He was able to view the hosts of heaven, to see the throne on which the Lord God sits. And he was, uh, he was witnessing and seeing all sorts of people and events and truths that transcend human understanding. And then he was tasked with then seeking to communicate that to a particular people at a particular time How do you communicate that which transcends understanding or description? Well, you use vivid imagery. And John reports on what he sees, and he uses objects that would have been understandable for the people at this particular time. But even the use of those images don't fully communicate. Even those images can obscure the thing that's being described by John in this section of Scripture. And this makes sense that it would be difficult for the images that are contained in heaven to be communicated to us on earth. It makes sense, doesn't it? Let me try to illustrate what would be challenging about going to heaven, witnessing all of this, and then try and communicate this to those who are on earth. Imagine if you were able to go back in time about 900 years or so to the year 1099. This is the year of the first crusade. You came there, and you decided that you wanted to describe to the people there present day, 2019. Say that you wanted to describe something that you and I probably take for granted, or if we were to just mention it, people would know exactly what it is that we're talking about. Say you wanted to describe your pickup truck to somebody in the year 1099. Now, how would you do it? How would you do it? How would you communicate this to people who don't know about motorized vehicles or about oil or about gasoline or about rubber or about engines like that which are put in the car? How would you communicate it? Well, you would probably seek to use language that would make sense to make sense of the thing that you were trying to describe. Now, I've tried to do this myself, and you can tell me how I do. Say I was to go back to 1099. I was trying to describe a pickup truck to somebody that I was encountering. We spoke the same language, right? We were, that barrier was taken care of this is how I would try to do it. In the future, there will be grand carriages as tall as a man and and wider than they are tall and much longer than they are wide. And the reason that they're so much longer than they are wide is that there is a a bed that is affixed to the grand carriage that makes up the back part of this vehicle. In front of it, where the uh, where the horses would be. This is where uh, a rounded area called the hood is. Uh, the, the reason that the, the, the bed is there is that the bed is able to hold things. And, and up to 15 men could stand in this bed of the carriage and uh, have their weight supported. The carriage rests on wheels that are made of a material that has the consistency of a sheep's stomach, but has the durability to uphold the truck and allow it to traverse over stone and through streams for years upon years upon years. The wheels are joined together by steel which is refined in the hottest forges and brought together in one great piece which both connects the tires and upholds the carriage and the bed. And the vehicle is able to move itself by the power of a great block that's in the front which contains moving parts, eight moving hammers which never cease their moving so long as the carriage is in operation. And they're able to move by, by virtue of Oil, a liquid that comes out of the ground black, but this oil needs to be purified and refined until it becomes clear. And it, it's sweet to smell, but it's bitter to the taste. And, and it's poured in the back of this grand carriage, but makes its way to the front through a system of small pipes or maybe mini aqueducts that wind like vines through the bottom of this great carriage. And despite the fact that this is a liquid, this liquid helps the, uh, the car to have a fire combust within it. But yet not be consumed by the fire and through this liquid which creates the combustion the vehicle is able to move forward it can operate not just during the day but also during the night because small suns are affixed to the very front of the vehicle so that even during the night the ground around it can be illuminated it's surrounded by a by a a sheer sheer metal or another material that depending on the proclivities of the person who determines that this will be their great carriage could be whiter than wool, it could be black as midnight, it could be red as fire. How am I doing? Is this, is this good? Now, for people in 1099, right, that don't have the language of pickup truck, that's the way that you'd have to go about trying to describe it. And it may be that it would only be if you could take that person then back with you to 2019, they'd see it and be like, okay, I get what you were trying to describe. It all is clear now, now that, I'm, now that I'm seeing the finished product. And with Revelation, there's some of that that's going on here. Some of the images that are used, some of this very compelling imagery is likely something that we won't completely understand or we'll have just like the very beginnings of understanding until we're in the presence of the Lord and we say it. That is what you were saying. That's what was being described in the book of Revelation. Other than that, there's just going to need to be vivid imagery to try to communicate. Since that which is communicated transcends understanding, because we have not yet been in the presence of the Lord God to understand his majesty or the things signified. But Revelation is actually even more confusing to us. It's further complicated by the fact that while both the people who were originally receiving this letter and us don't understand the fullness of what is being communicated through the majesty and glory of the book of Revelation, there's the further difficulty for us that we are 2,000 years distanced from those who were originally receiving the letter. And so we need to try to understand what it is that they would understand when they would receive this, and then do the work of trying to understand the thing that's being signified.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering 7 Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com.
1: And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called The Living Church of the Living King, looking at the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the living one that gives our call to the church. What we're going to try to do now is seek to understand what this language would have signified to the original audience. We're going to try to see what it is that this language is telling us about. And we're going to seek to allow this knowledge to make us to be in awe of our great God and in the redemption that he provides us in Christ Jesus. And like I said, this is no easy task. This is a Christian Reformed church, and one of the great theologians of the Reformed tradition is a guy named John Calvin. And and, uh, he wrote biblical commentaries on almost every book of the Bible, with just a couple of exceptions. One being the Song of Solomon, The other being the book of Revelation. Very wise this man was not to touch these great challenging books. But because it's so challenging to understand, I need to rely very heavily on commentators that seek to spend more time than me understanding these things. And so today, I'm relying heavily on D.A. Carson and his interpretation of these two chapters. And uh, he gave a series of lectures in Canada some years back. Um, And I'm going to... I'm following his line of interpretation and condensing some of his message, and I want to give credit where credit is due. Now let me provide a word of encouragement or maybe comfort at the outset as well. While the language and imagery of Revelation 4 and 5 can be confusing, the main point of these chapters is very simple and utterly vital. God is glorious beyond human description, and Christ alone is able to redeem And because of that, they alone are worthy of our worship, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God alone is worthy of our worship, and God must be at the center of our worship. So let's take a look at this. Chapters 4 and 5 go together. Chapter 4 provides the context. Chapter 5 provides the events that take place. And so that's what we're going to do. We're first going to take a look at the context that's provided for us in Revelation chapter 4. And then we're going to take a look at what Revelation chapter 5 does for us, which is give us the events. And so we start with context. We're told that uh, as the chapter begins that there's a door that's standing open in heaven. The first voice that has called out to John in Revelation chapter 1 calls up to him again. And at once, John is in the spirit and and is seeing a throne in heaven with one seated on the throne. Right away, this tells us that there are thrones above thrones. God, the Almighty, the Ancient of Days is on the throne. We need to be reminded That above all earthly powers and pressures and developments is a throne above all of them. God has ultimate authority, none can challenge his authority. And as we walk in just a few days into a new year and into a new decade, with all of the uncertainty or confusion that might characterize the year ahead, we need to remember who is in control. And as we enter into a new year and a new decade, and as, because we live in a fallen world with all manner of difficulties and trials, there will be times where you and I face things that are challenging, that are trying, that are difficult. We need to remember the one who is in control and the fact that no power can compare with the power of the Lord God who alone sits upon the highest throne and alone has authority over all of the universe. We're told that the one who sits on the throne has the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne there was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. This is telling us that that surrounding the Lord God are all sorts of precious stones. And and the stones that are being talked about are all sorts of different colors and all sorts of different cuts. Altogether they produce a, a rainbow that surrounds him telling us that God is glorious and shimmering, that he is beyond description. As we consider God and as we think about him, we need to make sure that there is space in our mind and heart for awe and incredible beauty. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on those 24 thrones were 24 elders that are clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. The elders uh, that are here in this section of Scripture represent something, Now, the thing that they're representing is the thing where there can be some disagreement among some of the people that study this. It seems as though, it seems to Dr. Carson, these elders are representing an order of angels, a high order of angels. The same thing with the living creatures who are mentioned just afterwards. These are orders of angels that are given a delegated authority by the Lord God to sit upon thrones. And to do some measure and manner of ruling from there with the authority that God has given to them. Not challenging the authority of the Lord God, but under his authority. And these four living creatures that also have wings seem also to be angels. And, and one of the reasons that we think that elders are, are angels, that they're an order of angels, is that elders will sometimes be guides for John throughout the book of Revelation or they will interpret or answer certain things that he experiences. In this type of literature, that is something that is reserved for angels. This high order of angels cries out that God has redeemed people for himself in Revelation chapter 5. They pray, they have, um, they, they gather people together to sing his praises. From the throne, we're told in verse 5, comes flashes of lightnings and rumblings and heels of thunder, and before the throne is, there, is seven torches burning a fire, which are the seven spirits of God. First, let's talk about the storm that is coming from the throne itself. The greatest power in the ancient world would have been that of a thunderstorm, and you can understand that. I mean, until just very recently with the invention of of extraordinarily high-powered explosives, a storm is still the most powerful thing that was in existence. And it's, it's the most powerful thing that you and I will likely ever see is a, a storm. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in one of them. Like say you're driving and you realize, oh, the, the, there's less light up there. And what comes down looks like a sheer sheet and you realize it's a lot of water. And as you drive into it, you realize that you're surrounded by pouring water by a rushing wind that's blowing across your windshield and sometimes as you're making your way through you can see a crack of lightning and the sound of thunder is enough to make you jump out of your own skin sometimes even when I'm in my house right, and I'm with my family and, and you know it's, it's a storm outside and we're, we're kind of hunkered down because we know we're not going to be going outside suddenly if there's a flash of lightning and a loud boom of thunder it can be absolutely terrifying this is the power of the storm And what's astounding is that the event of a thunderstorm which contains extraordinary power is characteristic of just the seat that the Lord God sits on in his throne room. The greatest power that you and I will ever see, that's the sort of thing that the Lord God just sits upon. And the Holy Spirit is there. The seven torches of fire burning. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. And all of this reminds us that God is not to be trifled with. This is why we don't take his name in vain. This is why we don't disrespect him. Because he is utterly glorious, completely beautiful, and transcendent in power. And before the throne there is a sea of glass-like crystal. Now what does this mean? Now if you're like me, for most of your life you've probably conceived of an utterly smooth sea that is right by God. Now that would seem to be in conflict with the fact that from the throne is coming this rushing wind and thunder and lightning. And it also, it also probably doesn't make sense of the fact that in Revelation 21, when we encounter the new heavens and the new earth, we're told that the sea is no more. The sea of crystal that's here in Revelation chapter 4 isn't always going to be there. And at the time, the people that were receiving this, they, they weren't able to to have glass or crystal that was completely clear. That was something that was a much more modern invention. This is something that would have been, uh, that would have been opaque at the time. And, and if it were like crystal, it would mean that there were different edges and that there was all sorts of glory and that as the light that was coming from the throne shone on it, it would emit all measure of light. It would, it would heighten the glory of the picture. But, but it also served to separate John from God. The sea is radiant and sparkling in every direction. But the sea is very likely rough. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, there's four living creatures. They have eyes in front and behind. The first creature is like a lion. The second is like an ox. The third has a face of a man. The fourth is like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, all day and all night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then they declare that the Lord God is worthy. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So what's up with these eyes that cover these living creatures inside and out and everywhere? Well, eyes in this type of literature signified viewing and knowing. It shows that these are beings that are able to see and know. And it speaks to us that God knows all things. And what we see is the highest order of angelic beings orchestrating the praise of the Almighty with the delegated authority of heaven. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. What they're doing is saying that God is other from us, that he is righteous in a way that we are not. It's a very close thing to saying that he is God, that God is God, that God always has been and God always will be. All of this provides the context for the events that then take place in Revelation chapter 5. John, having having seen all of this, sees that in the right hand of the one who is seated on the throne is a scroll, and on the scroll is written on the front and in the back. It's sealed with seven seals. And a question goes out Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? At this time in the ancient world, when a document was created, if it needed to be sent somewhere else, that that scroll would be wrapped up, and the scroll would be surrounded with a sheet of papyrus, and then wax would be dipped on it right at the place where the one sheet overlapped the other, and it would be sealed with the signet ring of the one who had sent the seal. Or with another seal signifying that particular kingdom. And it would be sent off to the one who was supposed to receive it. And only a person of sufficient authority was able to break that seal and open the scroll and receive the message. Sometimes if things were especially important, it would be sealed with several different dollops of wax. One emperor in Rome at this particular time, he sealed up his last will and testament with seven seals. Each one, a different dollop of wax and a different seal and a different person with a different level of authority to be able to open that seal. There was a terrible punishment for anyone that opened a seal when they did not have the authority to do so. And the the scroll that's in the right hand of the Almighty very likely represents the redemption that the Almighty is bringing. It represents the redemptive work of the Lord God. And the opening of it would be the mediation of the redemptive work of the Father. And so this is an important scroll. And an angel, a mighty one, who's able to speak to the whole world, both those who are above the earth and under it, those who have died, into the sea, throughout all of heaven, he's able to speak loud enough for all of them to hear. He cries out, is there anyone who's worthy to open this? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. No one has the ability or authority to approach God and take the scroll. No being is found, no human, no one living, no one dead, no holy angel, no fallen demon, none can take the scroll because none of them have the requisite level of authority to take the scroll from the right hand of the one who sits on the throne and open it.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema to learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church